Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 84 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything, absolutely everything, even the most unexpected of subjects, has a history, like sandals, lamps, or coal. I want to do skin and scissors. Okay. I... (laughs) Scissors. Scissors about cutting up things. I know, about, I know that. No, 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 not in a dull way, in a, in a, in a deeply profound way. Mm. Okay, yes. let's do scissors. Cutting up texts. Putting them on the rearranging list. Rearranging them and Bibles and cool. religion and all that jazz. So, scissors, yep. skin, Still on it. our list. Yep. Brilliant. We'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of soap is not just all about cleanliness. It's also about slipperiness. It's about advertising and art. It's about flattery and persuasion. It's about soft soaping somebody. (laughs) Although the history of... Do you like that? Do you like what I did there? Very clever. Um, All that the history of stone is not just about castles. It's about power. It's about crime and punishment. It's also about childhood. Think Mm. about small boys with catapults. Mm, it's about trade as well. How do you transport um, stone? It's one of the difficultest things to transport. The difficult from ice and it's snow. Also, it's about hypocrisy. People in glass houses mustn't throw stones. Very good. And all that. Uh, <laughs> the man sitting opposite <laughs> me is the General Secretary of the Historical Workers' Party of the past. <laughs> it's no. Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. I've been trying to keep a theme going through these introductions to you, but... Um, uh, My theme's going to be communist from now on. Communist from now on. Yeah. Mine, mine was sort of Roman. Oh. Uh, so you, this week, you are the centurion of centuries past. Very good. Uh, you are the um, famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Hello, Sam. Hello. Um, are you well? Yeah, I'm really good. Good. Thank you very much. Um, which is important, an important question to ask, because we are going to be talking today about accidents. accidents. Wow, what a great subject. A brilliant subject. How can accidents have a history? Different from purposeful disasters. Yes. It's very different. So it's not about wars no. or or terrorist attacks. It's about sort of, you know, things that happen by accident. How can they have how on earth can they have a history? So it's one of these wonderful subjects. That the more you think about it, the more you realise that it's actually fundamental to Everything. Everything. Everything yes. that happens, but not only that, as historians, it's fundamental to the way we understand the past. 
It's about discovering things by accident. Yeah. And I think accidentally dropping out of pockets and accidents causing events to happen in the past, which we then discover by accident. Yes. It's a whole. It's a whole happens. History is yes. a, is a kind of crazy jumble the, of accidents. The history of serendipity. It is, isn't it? I love that word. Um, but it, you could also think about types of accidents, from sort of aviation, transport accidents, Ooh. car accidents, amusement parks, cable transports, explosions, <laughs> industrial ac- accidents, medical accidents, smog. Yeah, all sorts of things. It's also about squirrels, which I'm going to talk to you about <laughs> later on. <laughs> it's about squirrels and, and tattoos. I'd love to do the history of squirrels. <laughs> yes. You know, well, the, all, all I know, is, is this is my junior pub knowledge, is that the grey squirrel is like some kind of horrible Japanese knotweed of the squirrel, basically. And it's been destroying all of the really pretty, nice English squirrels. Red squirrels. Yeah. It's not a Japanese grey squirrel, but if it, if it was a knotweed, it would be Japanese knotweed. How am I doing here? <laughs> you do very well. Thank you. I'm just, I'm just... <laughs> can't help laughing. Okay, um... but this is this is also a really we're making light of it. It's a deeply important uh, subject. Something um, that I've come across in my work quite a lot. Ooh. Um, something I've come across in my work quite yeah. a lot. We talked about it a little bit um, when we talked about chi- the history of childhood. And we talked about how do you... Oh, that was wonderful, wasn't it? We were talking about, yeah, how... How do you reconstruct the history of childhood? Because we often have coroner's records that allow... That talk about unfortunate childhood deaths. Yeah. But what that allows you to do is sort of piece together all this sort of incidental information about childhood play and where they spend their lives and attitudes <laughs> so towards parents. A kid throwing bricks everything. in the air. Yes. Yeah. And then it came down on his head. Yeah. Don't yes. throw bricks no. in the air, please. No, no, no. A, do not, not do this at home. Not a good game. Um, so accidents has a fairly interesting part of my own personal academic are you, history. Oh, are you are you accident prone? No, <clears throat> nor am I. I am in my life and career. Oh. You know what I mean? Not physically, right? So things have happened accidentally to you. Stuff happens accidentally all the time. Yeah, mm. uh, my my my. Well, that, that well, not necessarily accidentally, but good un- fortune, good fortune, yes. I suppose, or and bad fortune. Mm. Um, no, so I want to talk particularly about my career. Um, do as an academic so i'm having my hands here my first ever published piece of work mm. you are may i see may i read it you or may. read the title read the title uh it's in the mariner's mirror it's a brilliant uh naval history journal maritime history published by the society for nautical research which everyone should join please go and do that volume 90 number two may 2004 um 152 to 166. The High Life. It's May 2004, Topman. 14 years ago to this month. Ooh. The new the new copy Ooh. of The Mariner's Mirror has just come out. Ooh. The High Life, Topman in the 18th Century Navy by Sam Willis. That's me. Good, so, t- good title. Quite so cool. Topman, are they, I mean, I know nothing about this. Right. Um, are they up, up stuff and fall down? So up stuff and fall down. Yeah. Yep. Topmen yep. are the young, agile boys who sailed on these great big warships like oh, HMS Victory and, the and they climbed up the rigging and did the right. rigging stuff. Right. Um, so I, before I did my PhD, which is on the 18th century Navy, yeah. I went to sea and I learned to sail these ships. So I, I well, replicas of them. Yeah. Um, I, I gathered a kind of a very good first-hand understanding of what it's like to work aloft on, on a tall ship. ships. Yeah. And I then realised through reading a lot of 18th century background information, secondary sources, that there was a kind of 
a gap in the knowledge, basically. Mm. And I think being able to do history properly at that at this kind of level where you're you're trying to fill in gaps is very important to be able to see them first. And once you see them, then the whole, your whole kind of historical world opens up. And it seemed very clear that no one had actually written anything about the people who did who who actually um, operated the sails and um, and climbed up the rigging. And because of that there was a great big misunderstanding about what it was actually like. And the main misunderstanding is that it was exceptionally dangerous and that you needed to have an enormous amount of skill to be able to do it. So there were lots of people arguing that the naval problems in certain periods was to do with an absence of skilled top men, yep. an absence of, um, of people who had the, the time to train. So I wrote an article which explained that actually it was a lot easier than it looked. It doesn't need a great deal of, of, of training, but particularly it was to do the dangers of it. So, right. you, um, yeah, there were, there were historians writing about it. Um, ruptures and falls were common. It required courage and a constant renewal of initiative and daring. And, and even one suggested that it was, it was life-threatening on a regular basis. Uh, and I did a bit of research and I argued and, and I explained that it wasn't like that. Um, I explained all of the ways in which the captain could control the motion of the ship to make it less dangerous for the, the sailors aloft. I talked about climbing. I talked about historical accounts of climbing. I talked about them training and how they actually did it. Um, and then I, w- one of the problems here is that there are very few surviving surgeons' accounts right? Um, and surgeons' logs and surgeons' journals, but I found a handful of them, and they recorded um, the occasional fall from aloft, the occasional death from aloft. But many, many more... So were people dropping cannonballs on their feet, falling down hatchways and ladders and other kind of normal accidents. So um, aboard HMS Edgar, 74 gunship, in the two years between August 1797 and 1799, 11 falls were recorded, none of which were fatal, were from aloft. Seven of them were down hatchways and ladders. So this whole idea of, of people falling from from aloft or falls from aloft yeah. um, was completely unsubstantiated. It was untrue. There were the occasional things, but if you think about the quantity of of to- the, the sheer number of times people were sent aloft, and then you think about the number of people involved, um, it really, really sort of puts it in perspective. Here you are. Here's, a, here's an extract from the log of the Alexander in 1761. At 4 p.m., handed mainsail. 7 p.m., took a reef in each topsail. 9 p.m., handed fore to gallant sail. 10 p.m., handed main to gallant sail. 2 a.m., set to gallant sail. 6 a.m., let the reefs out. And so on and so on and so on. And you could get as many as 80 men, sometimes 100, across the largest yard of a big sailing warship. So if you think about the sheer amount of people that are up there working aloft and the frequency with which they're aloft... Having one fall, which may not be fatal from a loft, it worked out about one fall a year per ship. Um, which is not. It's not. Statistically, that's not, not, not a lot. No, and um, I found wonderful evidence for captains pr- properly taking care. As, as it, it makes sense. Why would you not do this? So you get a load of 15-year-old boys on your ship, you look after them, and you make sure they can climb safely. Um, really effective ways of training. They used to spread the main awning underneath the sails, so they they would feel like they had a bit of a safety net. Um, and then they would get them to go halfway up the lower bits, and then a bit higher, and then a bit higher. And um, what I liked about it is that once you realise the truth behind it, it's very logical and it makes perfect sense. Why would someone not train their their, their young boys? Um, so yeah, interesting. So ships aren't that ships, dangerous. They are not that dangerous absolutely not that dangerous all you need to climb aloft is a bit of your own um bit of confidence 
Um, one of the most interesting things I th- was I, f- I found these orders to tell sailors to hold fast when they were hoisting and, and, and lowering the uh, the topsail yard. But the implication of being told to ho- hold fast is that you could be quite happily up the rigging, not holding fast. And the one thing, yep. what, what do sailors need when, they, when they're working up aloft? They need their hands. By definition, your hands are free. So what they yep. would do is they would brace their bodies in particular parts of the rigging. And there was rigging built and structured like a huge climbing frame to allow you to do that. Mm. So you'd brace your legs behind you. You'd brace your hips. It was all to do with your kind of core stability and your, your, your lower body strength so that your hands were free, not for holding on, but so you could actually do the work that was required. You could hoist up the sails. You could tie up the gaskets. You could do everything. Um, yeah, so that was a so. Is there a sense that, they, that, that ships captains were safety conscious? Yeah, absolutely. So sort of. So this idea of health and safety isn't just a new no. invention. Um, and, and really interestingly, the the, um, the what puts that into I think a clear light is that one of the most famous mutinies of the period, seventeen ninety seven, was a mutiny on board HMS Hermione. That was sparked off by the deaths of two sailors who fell from aloft, but they were forced to do so. They were forced to hurry back by a nasty captain to avoid them being beaten. And the whole fact that this was considered completely and mm. utterly unfair caused mm. one of the bloodiest, most severe mutinies in the Navy. I mean, they, So it's like yep. the sailors self-policing and saying, actually, you can't do that. This is not the way that, that, that things work. But when you've got that many ships and that many men, you're always going to have bad apples and it's always going to go yeah. slightly wrong but um it's just that our our understanding of it was just being seen through the wrong end of the telescope to use a nautical metaphor yeah. excellent i mean i want to take that idea of health and safety um you know back in time you know people grumble about health and safety and i think we you know in in the uk we've gone we've gone slightly silly uh about this um so much so that in order to take a group of students literally across the road uh to the local museum you have to fill out a sort of detailed health and safety form. Um, how you plan to maybe, do it. maybe that how, exactly how you plan. Well, we plan to sort of you know press the you know the um, <laughs> the traffic light and stop and, and walk over and you know watch the cars. Don't, I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous. However, um, health and safety is a is a, is a much earlier. It uh, is a thing, invention. isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a really interesting historical thing. Very interesting thing. And we have here um, fifteen seventy three. Thomas Tusser's 500 points of good husbandry. Tusser was a, an English poet and and farmer. I, I was feeling quite smug and I was like, no, it's a very old thing. And I thought you were going to say 1873 <laughs> in the factory. No, no, no. Like, no 1570. Five, 500 points of good husbandry as well for the champion or open country as also for the woodland or several mixed in every month with housewifery over and besides the book of housewifery. What he does in, in this is he spells out certain things that you need to do in order to be safe in everyday life. And this includes, for example, um, the very important tip that when standing in front of brakeless carts on icy slopes, you can stop them from going down. Right. You literally stand in front of it. Or um, is, that, he, is that a good thing? It's a good thing. You, you stand in front of in, them. So that you stop them sort of going away. So yeah, rather hitting than just someone leaving, else. hitting somebody else. Okay, right. Or um, cart drivers should carry a bag of snails and crack them on the wheels to keep them lubricated. Okay. So snail, snail slime. slime. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, farm workers were told to walk in a sort of staggered diagonal line uh, when scything grass. So uh, otherwise, you, scythe so you basically don't sort of, you know, chop each other's... Yeah limbs off um and there were also instructions about how you know if you were climbing up trees to bag crows right you know exactly how you'd how you'd do it so that uh-huh. you didn't sort of fall to your death interesting so there's, so there's a there's a there's an interesting sort of tudor uh history of 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 safety but uh, and this is where the squirrel comes in mm-hmm. um tufty club were you ever a member of the tufty club no, i don't even know what that means my mother ran the local tufty club in hornsey in Yorkshire, uh, in the late seventies, in the little this little seaside town that I lived in, um, which was an invention of Rosper, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents. Right, never heard of yes, Rosper. Yes, Rosper, um, founded at a public meeting uh, in 1916. It was decided in London to elect a, a safety first council to tackle the and I quote, alarming increase in traffic accidents and the direct connection therewith of the restricted street lighting, which has been necessitated by war conditions. And effectively, what happens, the the motor car and, and accident, I mean, not the motor car, but sort of, you know, wartime conditions, more people, you know, needing to switch off lights, more traffic yep. uh, on the roads, horse and cart, the invention of the of the car, you need a body to basically police all this, oh. come up with laws and rules in order to um, make people secure and safe. And there is a very interesting history of the heritage of ROSPA. Uh, if you go to their website, you can find all of this out, which includes pedestrians facing oncoming traffic. You have This idea when you're wandering down country lanes that you walk on the side of traffic that is coming into you. So when you're going around corners, actually when you're going around corners, you have to swap over. But that became uh, a, a, a rule uh, by Rosper. Um, the Highway Code, the invention of the Highway Code in 1924 and the government version in 1931. The curb drill mm-hmm. for children. And, of course, um, cycling proficiency scheme, safety standards for fire guards. You know, and things like um, things like the drink driving campaign, yep. which does away with that sort of, you know, one for the road. Safety um, life at sea. Sa- Safety for life at sea. Um, but the Tufty Club, right? Um, the Tufty Club was, you know, was absolutely outstanding. Why is it I called remember, the Tufty Club? I don't I understand that. Tufty was this little squirrel. Oh, okay. And Tufty, so it was a series of stories that enabled you, children, to learn about road safety. Uh, so Tufty and <laughs> his friend. He doesn't want to get squashed. So Tufty Flufftail 
uh, was born in in 1953 was the creation of the late Elsie Mills MBE. And it was a series of stories that introduced the rules and regulations of crossing the road for children. A bit, It was earlier than that stop, look and listen yeah. uh, campaign. Um, but he, Tufty was joined in his adventures by his friends Minnie the Mole and naughty Willy Weasel. Willy Weasel was almost always the one who'd be sort of rushing to cross over. Uh, Mrs. Owl the teacher and Policeman Badger, who always popped up in the nick of time. Um, founded in 1953, but by 1961, the Tufty Club was set up as a nationwide network of local groups. And at its peak, at its peak, there were almost 25,000 <laughs> registered Tufty Clubs, you know, that basically, you know, trained children to cross the road. And there's a, on the, on the ROSPA website, there are a series of messages uh, left for Tufty uh, and among them, uh, my favourite uh, message for... And this, when you remember that this is literally a cartoon character squirrel. Um, Good morning. Uh, I was a member of the Tufty Club in the early 60s in Milne Gavi, just outside Glasgow. I've been compiling a tattooed memory sleeve. And today I had our little friend added. Regards, David. Another of my favourites. What, um, what's a tattooed memory sleeve? A memory sleeve. Well, you, you have a... Uh, you... He's literally tattooing sleeves on his arms. It, no, it's, of memories. It is. It is. It's having. So your your arm here. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, is tattooed with particular tattoos that bring back memories, memories for you okay. that, are, that have associations. Uh, I had my hair cut by a very nice uh, hairdresser, mm -hmm. Jeff Goodwins, uh, in Exeter, um, and uh, Craig, I think it was, had tattoos all over. His arm. Were they uh, memory sleeve? Very, and they were, the they were memory sleeve though. tattoos. Amazing. Yes. Um, another favourite um, is, Hello Tufty. Well, it's been a long time. Do you remember me? You taught me how to cross the road when I was 15. You were my hero when I was growing up. Sometimes when the road is very busy, I think to myself, how would Tufty cross <laughs> this road? And it helps me to get... <laughs> Sam, could you read this? <laughs> It's that one there. I can't read it. I'm sorry. I just got the giggles. It helps me to get over it safely. I used to be a member of your club. I was so proud. I put it on my CV and everything when I left school. Please could you send me details of how I could join again? As I think my membership has expired. Also, do you sell cuddly tufties? I'd love to put one on my checkout in the supermarket I work in. Oh, bless. I like it's that. very brilliant. sweet. That is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't that lovely? So it, it is. It is in fact all about squirrels. It is all about squirrels. Uh, it's all about chalk <coughs> as well. Ooh, tell me about chalk. It's a bit sadder. This story. Um, two two similar sad stories. Um, Ooh, we which, don't like sad, do well, we? Well, I don't know. I, I, it kind of came to mind. When I was I was in China last week, and I went to the Tonglu Shan copper mine, um, which is a huge open pit copper mine, and they. Oh, God, Dug, I can imagine. Anyway, they've been digging copper there for yep. 3,000 years. And buried underneath the slag is a, is a completely perfect, immaculately preserved 2,000-year-old copper mine. Um, on th amazingly clever. On three levels, um, they dug tunnels to get in, they dug tunnels to get out, they dug tunnels to get water from underground streams up for the smelting process. They dug more tunnels to help them um, deal with flooding. In the t amazing. Um but looking at it and exploring those tunnels really made me think about mining safety, which mm. also um, raises the interesting question of uh, uh, civilian gallantry medals because of mining disasters. Oh, yes. So I'm going to talk a bit about this um, do. 
one one of the horrific the most striking stories. Um, so, the if you don't know if you've got ten minutes spare, Google the Edward Medal because it is a medal. It's like the Victoria Cross, but it's for civilians. And the stories that survived, there are not a lot of them, but are absolutely astonishing. And one of them, it's to do with the Wellington Pit disaster in Whitehaven, Cumbria in 1910. Um, There was a fire, there was a a terrific explosion. And there was some suggestion that not all of the, the, the men down the mine had died. So everyone else piled in to the roaring flames to go and get get as many of these people out as they could but even though they managed to get seven of the original shift of 100 143 of them mm-hmm. um so an enormous amount of, of men died local community was transformed um 85 women were widowed 260 children lost their fathers um but 64 men were awarded the um the edward medal for this and uh, i just wanted to read out this this quote from the london gazette Right through the night and all the next day, rescue parties were at work trying to reach the workings where the missing men were entombed. But it was extremely difficult. The atmosphere dense. Some of the timbering in the mine was on fire. So timbering is, the, is what holds up the, um, yep. the tunnels. Mine. The only means of ventilating the portion of the pit where the men were trapped was entirely cut off. At the pit head, there were near heart-rending scenes. Women with children in pain and anxiety waited for news of their loved ones. Many of them stayed at the pit head all night and the whole of the following day, refusing to leave for rest or refreshment. And a number collapsed, worn out by their vigil. Now, when I say I talk about chalk, was one of the interesting things is that when they actually managed to get the fire under control and they went back in, they they were they realised that they were right and... Um, a number of people had survived the initial explosion. Um, they didn't go on to survive the, the subsequent fire, but they'd written messages on the walls in chalk for their loved ones, um, which were actually the the, um, the Grenfell Gosh. Grenfell Tower has been in the news a lot uh, recently <clears throat> yeah. with the with the um, public inquiry, um, and there've been harrowing stories of people leaving messages on phones. You know, it also happened in the Twin Towers, but yes, exactly. here it was to do with chalk and to do with 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 this this terrible explosion. But that in turn reminded me of the Kursk, the um, Russian nuclear sub, which suffered an explosion. One of the um, one of their torpedoes had not been maintained properly. Um, it's very toxic fuel came through, exploded, caused another explosion. But a number of those sailors survived the initial explosion. Um, they were not saved in the end because the, the Russians, would, would, for a number of reasons, didn't send um, the rescue party as early as they could. But when they finally raised the submarine... There were um, similar to the to the Wellington Pit. There were they found letters mm. written um, written by the people who were there to loved ones. Written to loved ones. It's too dark here to write, but I'll try to feel. It looks like we have no chance. Ten to twenty percent. We'll hope that someone will read this. Here is the list of those present from the other sections who are now in the ninth section and will try to escape. Hello to everybody. Don't despair. And that was from uh, Gosh, chilling, Captain Dmitry Kolesnikov. Another one. If you are reading this note, it means I'm dead. But your lives will carry on. And I ask that my son becomes a true man like I used to be. And that was senior midshipman Andrei Borisov. So, Goodness yeah. Me. Um, accidents. Accident, um, horrific, yep. horrific, horrific accidents. And one of the best projects I've seen recently about accidents is a social and economic history project coming out of Oxford University run by... Stephen Gunn at Merton, and it's the Everyday Life and Fatal Hazard in 16th Century England project. Um, I've known Steve for many, many years. He's a brilliant um, 
Tudor historian, works on one of the the leading experts on Henry the Seventh, and this is his new project, and he's been doing it for the last five or six years, and it is a phenomenal project. It is based on nine thousand records, mm. coroners' inquests. So coroners would be called in when there was an unnatural or violent death. So something needed to be... So somebody didn't sort of die in bed of natural causes, but something or other happened. And so what you have is this extraordinary snapshot of daily life. And what's interesting about this is that you can you can look at this as a way of looking at risk mm. in in Tudor society... You can look at it in terms of the kind of activities that people were in. You know, you can look at it and just looking at the kinds of things that were, were dangerous, but yeah. also all the incidental, um, all the incidental details that are contained in this allow us to see so much sort of in, in a very sort of rich way life in in yeah. Tudor England. What is extraordinary about it, though, is the way in which it tells us, you know, the kinds of deaths that were quite common throughout this period. One of the most common and dangerous activities was archery. Mm. And there are all sorts of descriptions of people, you know, not only people who are who manage to sort of shoot themselves uh, while they're while they have their bow and arrow, but also people who are spectators or nearby who get shot. Yeah. Um, summer is one of the most dangerous times of the year. Because uh, of course everyone is outside, they're out in the fields, yep. they're collecting hay harvesting. and all sorts of things harvesting and all sorts of things. Mm. But it's the most extraordinary. Yeah, and I think there'll be some wonderful thing. stuff being published. Yes, um, out of that, out of that research, definitely brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. You subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis, and you can follow me at James Daybell, and you can follow us on at Unexpected Pod. We are truly proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other monumentally brilliant shows. Um, and check out our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com. It's got information about books. It's got information about our live shows. And we hope to see you soon. Come along. All right, then. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.